This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Welcome to Mark Pauley. He's a professor of healthcare management here at Wharton, and he's going to discuss the merger frenzy that's going on uh, among healthcare insurers at the moment. Mark, the top five companies have been talking about merging with each other in different ways. So we have Anthem, which is a consolidation of Blue Cross companies, uh, talking, uh, they're making a play for Cigna. That's a $48 billion deal if it went through. United Health is talking about picking up Aetna. That's a $40 billion deal. And Aetna itself is talking about picking up Humana, which is a $30 billion deal. These are the top five players all told. And if all of these things went through, somehow we'd be left with the top three instead of the top five. So um, first question is, why are these merger efforts coming now? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think one answer is that in the period of Obamacare, uh, insurers found it politic to lay low uh, and not do anything dramatic that might upset the boat because they had to uh, maintain their position of, uh, of uh, probity. Uh, uh, and now it's almost as if somebody has said, uh, okay, <laughs> it's open season now. Uh, all those things that have been bottled up for five years, Obamacare actually started in 2009. Uh, now it's a free-for-all. Go out and do whatever you want to do. So to, to some extent, I think the, the uh, coincidence of uh, all of this discussion right now is probably because the, the assumption the insurers are making is that kind of the cork's out of the bottle and they can get back to doing whatever they would have been doing. Uh, the, but, but there's certainly some features of Obamacare that have actually led to uh, a motivation for insurers to try to merge. What are those? Well, so there are really two of them. Uh, one is uh, the, the main feature of Obamacare I think that most people know about is that it reformed the market for buying individual insurance. It's important to say most of us don't get our insurance that way. We get our insurance through our job. And if we work for a big company, our employer is really not very much, uh, if at all, affected by these mergers, at least not directly. So most of us can sleep well at night regardless of what happens. But if you work for a small business or if you own a small business or if you get your insurance as an individual because you're self-employed and you're using either the Obamacare exchanges or even the remaining individual market, uh, the, the, the of course, the Perp, the, the goal of Obamacare was to try to increase competition in the individual market by making it much more transparent about what different plans would be and by regulating the insurers uh, in an attempt to cut the profit margins in the individual insurance market. And this is a kind of counterattack, I think, on the part of insurers saying, well, um, if you're going to um, uh, try to uh, uh, stimulate competition, uh, we're going to counteract by reducing the number of competitors. So at least we won't have to worry about our, as many um, competitors stabbing us in the back by cutting prices if we can buy them up or acquire them. So, so that's number one. Number two, uh, an important part of Obamacare is particularly for the Medicare population to organize more organized delivery systems, accountable care organizations, which are supposed to be entities to care for the full set of needs of a population of people. And that has often meant 
uh, for obvious reasons that since people use more than one hospital, it means all the hospitals in town have an incentive to work together. And when they get together, Adam Smith probably could have warned us about this, they not only talk about, we suspect, how to improve care, they also talk about how to bargain more aggressively with insurers. And so uh, the ACO uh, part of uh, the Affordable Care Act has stimulated, uh, among other reasons, uh, consolidation on the provider side. And I think what we're seeing here is a, a reaction to that consolidation by insurers saying, well, if the providers are now going to gang up on us, we better gang up on them. So a battle of the titans, uh, you, I guess. Uh, right, in which John Q. Public is probably going to get squashed. Yeah. Okay. At least that's what economists say. So, um, and I think that uh, others have pointed out that um, the consolidation for hospitals and doctor groups and, and for medical devices, medical device companies, mm -hmm. has often led to higher costs for consumers. I mean, yep. you, you point out since we mostly, most people get their insurance through their employer, that that might not have a big effect because the big employers especially would have some bargaining power and that it could affect consumers. But can we generally assume that, that um, because of this consolidation, were it to all happen, that this does increase their market power and their pricing power and that there will be a substantial effect on healthcare costs overall, yeah. or is, is that fair? Well, that's sort of what eco economists traditionally assume that, that if you reduce the number of sellers, that's going to uh, increase pricing power and increase the markup ratio or the markup percentage that a, a seller can charge. In principle, there could be some reductions in cost if there are some economies uh, associated with the mergers. Uh, and the, and the merge, merger partners have been talking about synergies and all of that. But we're still worried that even if their costs fall, whether those reductions get transformed into lower prices is somewhat up in the air because the markup will go up. So, uh, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that prices are going to rise if you cut costs enough, but there's still a, a, a concern that uh, that would happen. And I think there's in the research not only on mergers of insurers and even for that matter mergers of hospitals, but mergers in general, there's fairly profound skepticism that these economies of scale actually end up materializing to any appreciable extent. And if they do, whether they would trickle down or not. And whether they would trickle said. down. Now, if you're – if any of these firms were the traditional kindly nonprofit Blue Cross plan, in principle owned by its insureds, then, you know, it would like Independence Blue Cross, that's still in principle like that. Uh, if it ganged up on uh, healthcare providers here in town, I'd probably cheer that. Uh, but if it was bought out and converted to a company that trades on the New York Stock Exchange, I might get a little more worried. Um. Not surprisingly, there's already a lot of uh, uh, opposition to this. The American Academy of Family Physicians has already come out. They're, they're reaching out to the Federal Trade Commission saying that they're not happy about this. They're going to feel, uh, physicians may feel at a disadvantage if, if they're suddenly dealing with a bigger behemoth. Uh, so what are the odds of something like this getting past the Federal Trade Commission? One assumes there's going to be challenges. Yeah, well, it would certainly be better if the opposition didn't come from the providers of health care who, you know, have their own axe to grind uh, and came from consumers. But I suspect that will happen. Uh, certainly, I, I, I personally would sign on to that. And uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but the government is in something of a compromised position because, as I mentioned, it has encouraged these accountable care organizations 
So far, the Federal Trade Commission, though, kind of hasn't gotten the memo that, that, they, that they should be um, easy on mergers. Uh, some other states in Massachusetts, for example, the attorney general there, Martha Coakley, uh, drafted a new policy which essentially said we will allow these hospital mergers as long as the hospitals promise to play nice afterwards. Uh, and, and so there's a bit of a conflict that the Federal Trade Commission traditionally has taken the point of view that they view any merger with great skepticism. It's kind of up to the merging partners to prove that they're not doing something harmful to the welfare of consumers. Here, though, there is the counter argument. Well, you, the insurers, can say you, the government, told us that uh, you wanted the healthcare market to consolidate for purposes of coordination of care, uh, and so we're just going along with the program that you outlined. So uh, uh, I think the short answer is going to be politics. And, uh, and in a way, who's in charge, or who, who employs the attorney general at the time, uh, the, uh, the, the, when and if these things actually uh, um, come to a decisive point. So we've talked a lot about this, sort of the business of this and the pricing and, and, and who, who has more leverage and that sort of thing. Uh, is there anything to be said about what this may or may not mean for health outcomes of patients? Will, will this have any significant effect or uh, uh, or, is, or is that really not in the mix for something well, like this? Well, it's in the mix in the sense that if the consequence of the merger is to raise premiums and that frustrates the public policy, which is intended to encourage people to take insurance, uh, uh, the, uh, the and we think having insurance is a good thing for your health, uh, the, the, the more it... Um, uh, uh, counteracts the uh, existing public policy to encourage people to become insured, the worse it'll be. Uh, so the, the, if the high prices discourage people from buying insurance, that'll be a bad thing for people's health. Um, otherwise, though, I don't think it's terribly relevant. Even um, according to the Wall Street Journal uh, article on this, they've actually done some research for us, uh, maybe People there are hoping to get tenure, I don't know. But uh, they had an interesting study which showed that the primary markets that would be affected by these mergers was the market for private Medicare insurance, the so-called Medicare Advantage plans. And uh, although that's um, – uh, and those plans cover about a third now of all people on Medicare. But there is – and I, as you can tell by looking at me, I am concerned about Medicare. Uh, there is, a, there is a, a protection which is that if the private insurers get together and try to rip off, rip off us old folks, we can still take our Medicare from the government plan. So there's a protection there, both in terms of quality of care, in terms of cost of coverage, uh, that uh, probably makes this less troubling than other mergers would be. For example, I'm much more troubled about mergers among hospitals or large physician groups than I am about insurers. Are there any other reasons for mergers other than gaining market power? Well, there are, according to the research. It, and it's kind of common sense that you will um, want to sell out or maybe would be a good takeover target if your market value is lower than the true value of your company. And I am intrigued by uh, Humana, which whose main business is Medicare Advantage, put itself up for sale, I think, because it's making a lot of money off of Medicare Advantage and it thought now was a good time to cash in and have somebody pay a high price uh, 
um, and then my cynical side says, in part because the salad days, the gravy days of making a lot of money off of Medicare can't go on forever, but if they can persuade some other insurer to buy them out at a relatively high price based on their current good fortune, um, uh, the current stockholders can, uh, you know, have a happy walk to the bank. So there's uh, some of uh, some of this is probably also associated with perception that um, that some of these firms are undervalued in the market relative to the value they would bring in a more consolidated setting. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.